Let's take our Bibles this morning. We're going to Philippians chapter 1. We've been working our way through Philippians, and uh, of which the theme is joy through the mind of Christ. And when you look at the book of Philippians, study the words, you'll find that indeed they do fall out numerically in that order. Christ, and then the mind or thinking, and then joy. He has given us his mind in his word, and we want to be able to have and know the mind of Christ as believers. That is what will bring joy even in the midst of sorrow. Paul was a a man with a vision and a burning desire. He had, more than anything, a desire to go to Jerusalem and then to go to Rome. He tells us in Acts chapter 19, after I go to Jerusalem, I must see Rome. Rome was the hub of the Roman Empire, maybe the New York City of our day. If Paul could just conquer Rome for Christ, then he could reach millions with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was very important, it was number one on Paul's agenda that he could get to big cities and spread the gospel. He said in Romans chapter 1, he said, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. But our text today will show us that Paul did not get to do what he wanted in the way that he wanted to do it. Paul wanted to go to Rome as a preacher, but he ended up going to Rome as a prisoner. And we see that in the book of Philippians, it was really a thank you note for a gift that had been sent to this church, uh, by this church, to Paul. And it was sent by the hand of a guy named Epaphroditus. In fact, if you have your place there in Philippians, hold chapter 1 and look at chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 18 Paul is writing this thank you note, and he says, I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. Notice, these physical things were more than just things. What were they? An odor of a sweet smell. A sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Never forget that God uses physical things to bring blessings to the heart. And Paul is writing back to Philippians, and he is sending his thanks, but he also addresses a concern that they have because he is writing to them from prison. The Philippians are concerned about him. Obviously, they send him this gift basket, this care package, but they're concerned because he's in prison. And if you study anything about Roman prisons, they, are no, they were no picnic. They were many times just a hole in the ground. And uh, you, it's hard to escape out of a hole in the ground. And so they're thinking here, Brother Paul, we're so concerned for you. We feel so badly for you. You have had these great missionary journeys. Those are finished. And uh, now you're locked in prison. 
and it looks like the gospel message is dead in the water. This is the mindset that I think Paul was, was imagining. He's thinking, the Philippians probably think it's all over with. Because when I was there, we had a great time together, if you remember Acts chapter 16, and we ended it by walking out of the prison, and, uh, and, and, and the church was formed, and there was great joy among the believers. But Paul, why can't you stay out of jail? Back in prison again. And so now they're thinking, I wonder how long that the gospel message can continue. And for those of you who may not understand, let, let, let me put it this way. How many of you have had someone in your life that you thought, if God ever were to remove that believer from my life, that influence for Christ, if they were ever to fall or to be stopped, I could not go on. I just couldn't do it anymore. It's happened to a lot of people. And I can imagine that Paul was concerned the Philippians had this in their mind. This man who, last time we remember he was in prison, God shook the thing, and there was a great earthquake, and everybody comes out, people got saved all over the place, but we've been writing to you and sending you this care package, and nothing's happening, Paul. What's going on? And so Paul addresses this concern in chapter 1. Let's read verses 12 to 14. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. He writes, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I want to preach to you this morning on the topic, how God uses bad things for good. How God uses bad things for good. You see, first of all, bad things happen. They just happen. Sometimes in life, things happen to you. If you look at the word hap, you remember Ruth. Her hap was to light on a field which belonged to Boaz. What does that mean? It was her luck, we might say. Now, people say, I don't believe in luck. Well, the Lord uses the term happen, happening and, and, and happened over and over again. By the way, the term happy is also connected there. Uh, in other words, sometimes happiness, uh, it actually, not sometimes, happiness is always a byproduct of things that happen to you. And it is possible for you to be joyful and happy in spite of circumstances. But sometimes things just happen. It's my lucky day, you might say, when you find, well, it used to be you found a, a, a dime or something. Now you have to find a $100 bill on the ground. It's my lucky day, right? Things just seem to go, I hit all the green lights on the way to work. You ever get that? You ever have that? Um, nobody tried to ride my tail and then swerve around in front of me and stop suddenly. Now, that's a lucky day in Toledo. I don't know where they're all going, except to go get high somewhere. I'm not sure. Because they're all behind me trying to get around. And I, I complain about it all the time, and nothing ever happens. It just keeps, it keeps going. Bad things happen. Sometimes in life, 
things happen to you that are not the punishment of God. Uh, you ever hit, hit your, your thumb with a hammer or, or bang your head on the corner of a cabinet and think, I wonder what God's doing. What have I done? Why is he judging me? And you must be careful, believer, with that kind of thinking. Uh, because you can become superstitious and attach more to circumstances and happenings than to God himself. Now, if, if something happens, it, let's say you get pulled over by a police officer. It's just not your day. It's just unlucky. Well, if you weren't speeding, you wouldn't have had such bad luck. Right? And you probably wouldn't gotten, uh, gotten talked back to uh, by somebody and gotten into, if you hadn't been such a jerk to them to begin with. Right? Sometimes the bad things that happen are a result of what we do, but sometimes bad things just happen. Job chapter 5, verse 6, he said, Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither doth trouble spring out of the ground, yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. No one conspires to put dust on the top of your fridge. But it just happens. It just appears, right? There's no great conspiracy to plant trouble in your life. It doesn't have to be God. It doesn't have to be the devil or your actions. Sometimes it just shows up. The things which happened sometimes are because they just happened. Now, I know there's people that, that say, well, I, all things work together for good. Well, and, uh, and that's true, but not all things are good. And why do things happen? If you think you're going to find the reason for everything, you're going to omit a lot of information and you're going to, high, you're going to select, cherry pick certain things and say, I understand everything that's going on. We must be careful about doing that. Why did I get a flat tire? Well, maybe you got a screw in the tire. And because of that, the air leaked out. Uh, well, I think the devil's fighting me. I do think the devil can fight you in all different kinds of ways. But I will say this, how do you explain to a guy who doesn't want to do anything for God and he has a flat tire? Sometimes things just happen. But when Paul said, the things which happened unto me, he's not just talking about having a headache or, 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 or running out of gas. He's talking about things which happened unto me because I decided to live for God. Hold your place in Philippians and flip back, if you would, to 2 Corinthians. To your left, 2 Corinthians, and look at verse uh, chapter 11. Here are some things which happened unto Paul. 2 Corinthians 11, look at verse 23. He's talking about these folks who had a problem with him and wanted to uh, compare records and trophies. And he said, verse 23, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes save one. They were very concerned about making sure they did not give anyone more than forty stripes, so they cut one stripe out and made it thirty-nine so that they could stop at 39 and make sure they didn't go to 40, because they, they didn't want to break the law. Uh, they didn't mind beating someone who was a Roman uncondemned. They didn't mind, mind beating someone who loved the true Messiah that they rejected, but they didn't make sure that they didn't beat him 40 times 
Only 39. Very just. That's why he says that in verse 24. Verse 25. Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Now, we just, you know, I was beaten with rods three times. But I'll tell you one thing. If I was ever beaten with a rod one lick, it would become my bio on every social media platform. Beaten for Christ. One lick. That's all it takes. He said, I was beaten with rods three times. Once was I stoned. He, he was killed with rocks at Lystra. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, and back then journeyings were not first class to Paris. That you get on the, uh, on the uh, he'll talk about here, perils, perils. Journeyings were very, very difficult. In perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings, that means staying awake all night long, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings, that's going without food, apparently without water as well, in cold and nakedness. The man didn't even have proper clothing. Besides those things that are without. Whew, did you realize that everything that he's talking about there were external problems that other people brought into his life or that nature brought into his life as a result of him trying to do something for God? Those are all external problems. But then he said in verse number 28, besides those things that are without... That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. The internal battles that Paul had. You know, some of the stuff that, the difficulties we've had in the last several years with folks. Now, if you're not members here, it doesn't, it doesn't affect you. But if you've been a member here for a long time, you notice some of the, the church struggles that you can have. How about this? What if you had started 25 churches and you're trying to get 25, 30 churches to unify their hearts together? I've been talking about the early church, not churches that have a history that go back hundreds of years, but are just finding out about Jesus don't even have a completed Bible. And Paul's trying to get them all on the same page, pulling together. You know the stress that it's brought into your heart and mind, spiritually speaking, because of the strife of brethren? You know what, Paul? You multiply that by hundreds. That's what Paul is feeling every day. The care of all the churches. And that's why he says in verse 29, who is weak and I am not weak. There's a time in your life where you realize I can't handle this anymore. You may have enough salt. You may have enough vinegar to last a few rounds but life has a way of beating you down. Living for God has a way of making you feel weak. And Paul said, who, anybody, how many of you are weak out there? I see that hand, is there another hand all over the building? Who is weak? Guess what? My hand is up too. I feel powerless. I'm worn out. Oh, and you want to know what else? I'm offended. Offended. Who is offended? And I burn not. There's something in me that's sick and tired of taking it. Sick and tired of having people say stuff that's not true. Paul's feeling this. Paul, and the reason why this happened, why? The number one reason, physical reason, social reason, is envy. 
Paul had, had, had challenged the very foundation of Judaism, which was their strict adherence to the law of God. They had the law of God. They, didn't just want to, they just didn't want to follow it. They just didn't want to, to know what it really led to. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And, and they liked the schoolmaster better than they liked Christ. And Paul had to deal with that pressure all day, every day. And he says in verse 30, If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. You know what Paul did? Instead of feeling like everything, I would be great if that would stop. I could really make some progress if people would stop saying that, and if they would stop acting that way, and if I could stop having this problem, and my health, and my finances, and my family problems, I could just get rid of all that, I could serve the Lord. You know what Paul did? He flipped it on its head. And he said, I'm going to praise God for everything wrong in my life. I am going to glory in God because of mine infirmities. I feel weak, glory to God. You see, that's where the power is for the believer. It's flipping it on its head. Because how many of you realize that when you get that scale out and you're like, I'll be able to serve God if I could just get that rid of, that'll, that'll bring me down a little bit towards the good side. And you, and you think, but what happens is stuff keeps getting put on the bad side. And you can't get rid of it. And you try to take one off and then another one comes. And you think, well, this is not working. I can't serve God. I can't read my Bible. I can't be a witness for Christ. I can't have a right attitude because junk keeps happening in my life. Paul said, I know. And I like it. Was he sadistic and weird? I think he was. I think he was suicidal. Not in the sense of he hated his life and he wanted it to be over. He wanted to see Jesus Christ. I, I think he was a kamikaze pilot for the Lord. Because he realized, nothing can touch me that doesn't pass through the hand of God. So all the stuff that's happening to me just fuels my fire. You ever, be around, you ever play somebody like that in sports? You get mad and they laugh. You, you start getting hot, and they stay cool as a cucumber and keep pushing and needling you. You ever play someone like that or in, in board games, right? You know, it frustrates me to no end. I, I just want to, why? I want to control it. I want to dominate it. I want to get a hold of it. I want to squeeze the thing until its head pops off. I want to make it happen. And guess what? I get more frustrated. I'm more uh, ill at ease, and I hate my life. Paul said, I've got so much stuff. All this happened. Because I tried to serve Jesus Christ. But if you think you're going to get back to your pre-salvation peace, sitting in the backyard with a beer, just, just enjoying the rays and listening to the, whoever they are that you like or used to like, if you think you're going to get back to that place of peace on earth where you can just tune out your problems, you're not! God never intends for us as believers to get back to the place where nothing matters except this world. There's always something in the, in the spirit of a believer that says, this is not the end. This is not the final resting place. God has more for me than just here. There's more Christian. Listen, it's not just about being a good American and going to heaven. Just grilling out, and I love to grill out. Maybe one of these days we'll get our grill down there. We're going to get it back to our, our new rental place. Side note. I love, 
grilling out. But you know what? If all I live for is just hanging out with family and friends on the weekend, how am I any different than any lost person? Are you with me this morning, guys? Listen, I I want to preach to lost people, but you know what? 99% of the people here profess Jesus Christ. So I could preach the gospel and we could all talk about them and how they need to get saved. Why don't we just talk to us this morning? What do you think? Amen? That's what we need. We need to be instructed from the word. And Paul here has given us very, very helpful instruction. The things which happened unto me, and they happened. But he gives us a word. The things which happened unto me have fallen out rather. You see that word? Rather. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 1. How could you see that word? It's not in 2 Corinthians. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 1. He said, the things which happened unto me have fallen out. They just fell out. It, the, the scripture uses the term, it fell on a day. What does that mean? It just happened to be that day. And he said this, they've fallen out rather. You see, there's two options. The two options are, all the problems and troubles in my life could be something that is very hurtful in the long term, or the second option is, the consequences of the troubles and trials in my life could be something that are very beneficial in the long term. Hurtful or beneficial? Now, since we have trouble in this life, everybody does, and since it cannot be avoided, as believers, why don't we look at the rather side of the equation and see how what we're going through could be beneficial in the long run? You say, well, I I shouldn't have this. I shouldn't have this. Well, then pray tell, why do you have it? Secondly, can you get rid of it? I, I, one of the worst things I can think of is, is to lose an eye. Or, to, or, to, or Really, an eye would probably be the very worst thing. Maybe hearing, but I'd rather have my eyes. If I had to choose, I'd choose the eyes every time. Pray for Brother Steve Hobbins. He's, he's got a problem with, uh, with his eye. His eye cornea, I think a layer of skin of that eye got ripped off, and he's trying to recover. If you would, pray for him. He's doing better, he told me yesterday. Very difficult, very painful thing. But let me ask you this. If you had to lose a limb, if you had to lose an eye, lose your hearing, okay, it's going to be gone. You don't want it to happen. But I'm sorry to be such a stoic here. But if it happens, what are you going to do about it? You see, we spend all our time saying it shouldn't happen. I don't think it should happen. It never should have happened. It's not fair. They should never should have said that. It could never, blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, back at Reality Ranch, it has happened. And as the young bucks say, it is what it is. We're here right now with what we have. And you have a choice to look at the long term and say, forget it, my life is over, the whole thing is going down the tubes. And that's, that's, that's the way it goes. That's the way it goes. Rather, you can say, the things which happened to me have fallen out. Things which happened to me, you got beat down. You got stoned. You, you, you got people yelling and screaming with flecks of foam in your face. You ever have somebody yell at you? Paul had it all the time. 
You ever have somebody beat you with a rod? Paul had people up in his grill on a regular basis. You know how he described it? He described it as the things which happen unto me. <laughs> the things which happen unto me. You know, it'd be like a young person crying, saying, I have this toothache. I think my tooth is coming out. And they come over to Brother Mark Crotz. I don't think I can make it. And Brother Crotz says, I'm on my third liver. He could tell you every single time he's ever been to the U of M, <laughs> everything they did every time, and the weather outside that day, what he weighed. You know, Brother Mark doesn't forget a thing. But you know what's interesting about, about that is the things, what, what, you know, he doesn't introduce himself saying, Hi, my name is Mark. I, I've had three livers. Now, I've had very minor surgery, and I, it's nothing compared to what many of you have had. But if your life is defined by all the junk that's happened in your life, you're not living on the rather side of the equation. Paul said, I died once. I was shipwrecked, all that stuff. Those things happened unto me. But, but Philippian believers, let me tell you how God's using the things that happened unto me. Now let's look at it. He says, in verse 13... The things, in verse 12, the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. Under the furtherance of the gospel. So he says here, God has used the things which happen unto me to help the gospel go forward. There's a long-term beneficial result. Okay, so here, here's, here's what it looks like. In verse 13, he continues, so that he's going to describe what the furtherance of the gospel looks like. He said, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. So I want you to see, first of all, bad things happen to good people. Secondly, bad things provide new opportunities for ministry. Bad things provide new opportunity for ministry. Get this in your head, because what's going to happen is all your bad stuff and all your life that's happening, everything is going to be put in a side where it's like, this is me, this is my world, and then I have a little place for God over here, and I don't really have much that I can do for God. Why? Because all this stuff is my life. You know what Paul did? He combined his real life and his church life into one big thing. And he said, what happened to me happened to the furtherance of the gospel. So I have more opportunities for ministry. So my plan, Paul said, my plan was to go to Rome, but God had a better idea. He brought Rome to me. How did he bring Rome to him? Well, he's chained to a soldier round the clock. Every six hours, they say, they would change out these soldiers in the Praetorian Guard. He was a political prisoner, and so he was placed in a uh, a white-collar prison type of a thing, where you got the high level. This was not just your normal drunk, ruffian, drug dealer guy. This was like a you know, high-profile prisoner. He's placed in, this, in the palace, the palace guard. And now, those who've been involved in, in, in prison ministry say that there's no one more cynical 
about a prisoner who says he's innocent than a prison guard. A prison guard rolls his eyes when he hears that somebody found Jesus. Why? He's seen it before. It's called jailhouse religion. They meet Jesus when they walk in the clink, and they leave him behind when they walk out. Right? So here, Paul is a prisoner, but God is using this scenario. He is actually, he, he is actually telling the Philippians that even the most cynical and hardened group of guys, the imperial guard, and many other people, all other places, he says, have come to realize that Paul is not just a hardened criminal. He's not a revolutionary. He, he's a guy who has a message that people don't want to hear. That's why he's in prison. Now, we think about, well, I'd like to be in a place where I could be... Remember, getting arrested and being a prisoner does not normally enhance your status in, so, in social standing. People don't look at you, oh, you've been to prison. Nice. Nobody wants to talk about it. Everybody's afraid. I don't, I've heard stuff that goes on in there. Paul is being used of God in a very unusual way. There are people that say about him, and we'll see in Philippians chapter 1 later on, there are people that say, if he was living for God, he would not be in that prison. I can tell you that right now. I, I, I don't know any great men of God who've ever been arrested. I don't know anybody that's ever had any major problems. I'll tell you what, we ought to to have our uh, leaders of our church ought to be people who keep their nose clean, people who don't have problems. Yeah, that's all true, that's all true. But can I remind you the reason why Paul was in prison? It was not because he was a revolutionary. It was because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and people did not want to hear it. Now don't try, don't, we, we have to be careful as believers that we don't laud and revere Paul for doing that. All Paul was doing was what we're afraid to do. Talk to people who don't want to hear. That's why Paul ended up in prison. By the way, that should help you understand whether or not your troubles actually come. How many times have you actually been bothered by the fact that people rejected the gospel that you tried to share with them? Or how many times have people been bothered by the fact that you're a jerk? Hey, being a believer, being a, a gospel carrier means that we're going to have to take it to places, sometimes in uncomfortable situations. Be willing to stand. Go against our flesh. Your flesh doesn't want anybody to know about Jesus. Your flesh wants people to know about you. So the court, the court officer asks, he says, why is that guy in jail, that Paul guy? Oh, for preaching about Jesus. That's why he's there. Well, what does that mean? Well, I don't, I don't know. It's something about this man who, who died, he was crucified, um, and then he supposedly came back from the dead. And they say he is the true God and he's Messiah. And the guys are standing around the break room talking like this. Why? Because Paul had things that happened to him. You've got people in the palace, you've got people in the courtroom, people at dinner table. They're talking about this man and his message. So the warden gets a report. And they say, okay, prisoner number 42, he's in jail for extortion. Prisoner number 43, he's in jail for armed robbery. Uh, prisoner number four, 44 is in jail for setting forth a strange God. I'm sorry, what? What would you say? I mean, they're used to common criminals. They're used to guys who, you know, pull off elaborate schemes. But what, what you, why, why, is in here with, why, why is he in the tank with everybody else, with all the other criminals? 
Well, we're not sure, but there was this big uprising that happened in Jerusalem. Well, what, what caused the uprising? What did he say? Did he spit on somebody? Did he hit him? Like, what was he, was he impeding traffic? Did he set a car on fire? What, why, is he, why, why is he in prison? What was the uprising about? Well, you know, he said that this Jesus that he always talks about rose from the dead. Well, that's stupid. Everybody knows nobody can write. I know, that's what we tell them. I don't know why everybody's so upset. I don't know why the Jews got so mad at him. Nobody can rise from the dead. Somebody on the other side of the break room says, hey, have you guys talked to him yet? I was chained to him for six hours. I can tell you one thing. Whether or not it actually happened, I know this. He believes that it happened. That man saw something. I questioned him every which way. I tried to get the truth out of him, and he would not budge from that. He said, I know that Jesus Christ is alive. I saw him on his way to Damascus. He, he said, I met Jesus Christ personally, and he taught me in the desert. for three. I, I don't know. The guy's he's either the best salesman in the world, or that guy saw something. You see, what God was doing with Paul was he was bringing him into close proximity with people so that he could witness to them on a regular basis. And they could watch him and how he lived. Men are discussing the gospel. But other times, when everybody had gone, late at night and the moon shone on the distant slopes, you'd have the soldier and the apostle left to talk. And in those dark hours, the apostle would tell that soldier the story of his own proud career in his life and how he opposed Jesus Christ and how eventually Jesus Christ conquered his heart. And he would make it clear to that soldier that, that, that he was not there uh, as a prisoner for any crime or because of any rebellion or any, any revolt, but that simply he believed that when the Roman soldiers had crucified Jesus under Pilate, They had crucified the Son of God himself, and that he went into the ground, and then three days and three nights later, he came out of the ground. And that very chain, which Rome had riveted on the prisoner's arm, was fastening Paul, in a dark period of his life, to a lost soldier, who the very next day might be in the presence of Nero himself. You see, all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Why would God make all things work together for your purpose? When God created you, when God saved you, when he called you with a holy calling, not according to your works, but according to his own mercy and grace, why would he work and move heaven and earth to try to fix things so you could have the life that you want? You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Truth be told, sometimes we go to God and we pray and say, God, I need you to power my life so I can do what I want to do. God, I need your direction so that you can show me how I can live my own life. You see, the things which happened to me have fallen out rather than the furtherance of the gospel. Why? Because that's the direction Paul was leaning. And when life hit him in the face, it knocked him into the gospel further. 
He didn't have to get knocked around and then say, oh, that's right, I am saved. Oh, that's right, I probably should read my Bible. Oh, I am going to witness to that person. He was already trying to do that. So the things that happened unto him pushed him further that direction. Let me ask you this. When life pushes you, will you even see the opportunities that are around you? Will you even notice that God's allowing these things? Or do you see men as trees walking? Yeah, it's important to make, make sure you put God on your schedule. Slide him in there. You may need to get a wedge and a hammer to put him into your schedule. Because you've got so many things to do. Forgive me, there's going to be some sarcasm right in here. Be ready. You've got so much to do. You've got people. You've got grandkids now. Grandkids. That's why you're on this earth. For your grandkids. Now listen, I, I'm looking forward to grandkids. Amen. No pressure. I think it's going to be awesome. But I just have to ask you this question. Do you think God put you down here on this earth so you can spend time with your grandkids? Nothing wrong with spending time with your grandkids. But that's, that's the reason? Hey, why, why, don't, why don't you take that time with your grandkids and do something for the furtherance of the gospel. Let me, try, let me run that one back one more time. Why don't, you, why don't you take your grandkids and spend time with them and do something for the furtherance of the gospel? Why? You know why we don't? Because we don't care about the gospel. You know what we care about? Our own lives. We care about getting food and raiment and drink, and we are therewith content. Meanwhile, Paul's getting beat up, stoned, thrown in prison, and he's glorifying and praising God. You know why you're not happy? You're not happy because you're not doing things for the furtherance of the gospel. If you're a child of God, I'm just telling you, Jesus Christ ruined you for this world. He ruined you. There's not enough beer. There's not enough karaoke. There's not enough vacations. There's not enough friends. There's not enough super deep-fried Americanism that can ever keep you happy again if you're a child of God. Why? You're not meant to live here forever. He's got a new heaven and a new earth. There's going to be a new existence that you're going to realize that you are already living right now. You're seated in heavenly places. One of, one of these days when the Lord disengages the 21st century clutch... And and engages this completely engages the spiritual clutch. You're going to realize, wow, I've been living this life since I got saved. I just didn't realize it. Paul realized it ahead of time. He realized before he ever died that this world was not his home. Hey, I'm not telling. Listen, don't walk out. If you walk out of here and say, "I guess we're not supposed to spend time with grandkids," you're acting like a brat. That's not the message. The message is all the blessings and things that God allows us to have are for his purpose and his glory and all the bad stuff. God takes all of that and puts it in a transmogrifier machine, thank you, Calvin and Hobbes, (laughs) and makes it into something that can bring him glory. And it's happening around you right now in your life. If you'll look with spiritual eyes, it's happening right now. Bad things provide new opportunity for ministry. Bad things 
when patiently endured, can strengthen weak Christians. Look at chapter 1, verse 14. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What does boldness look like for a believer? It looks like speaking the word. It's not much more bold to talk against Nero. Nero was a horrible, horrible leader. He killed Christians. If there, and by the way, Philippians lived in an extremely patriotic society. They, they had special tax status granted to them because of the great battle that was fought there in the Greek wars. They were named after uh, a, a Philip, King Philip. He named it rather after himself as a good leader. Philippi, that was the name of the town. They were very patriotic. They loved the empire. And Paul, in a sense, is flying directly against that by being thrown in jail. Bad citizens are thrown in jail, not good citizens. But here's Paul in jail. And he's saying there's believers that are much bolder now than they were to do what? To speak the word of God. Now, some of you think you're bold when you type in your political opinion on Facebook. There's nothing wrong with that. You should do it. But I would challenge you, if you're not doing the same about the gospel of Jesus Christ, maybe take a break on that for a while and speak the word without fear. The gospel of Jesus Christ. When you drive by the Hindu temple, when you drive by the synagogue, when you drive by the mosque here in Toledo, do you think, well, you know, everybody gets their way and it gets to make their choice? Well, they do, but guess what? That's a wrong choice. Those people, if they believe what their church and synagogue and mosque tell them, are going to spend eternity in a lake of fire. Not because the Baptist said so, because Jesus Christ said, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Hey, we got to get some boldness, believer, in our lives. we got to stop uh, uh, pandering to every little shade and wind of doctrine that comes. Well, I don't want to be considered mean and upset. No, you're just a wimp. Hey, wh- wh- what would you say somebody who's not bold and doesn't speak the, the word, whatever you want to call them, they're scared. But because of Paul going through his circumstances and saying, God's using it all, people looked at him and said, look at Paul. You know what? I'm tired of being a wimp. I'm tired of being afraid of this world. I'm tired of shrinking in fear. The 21st century and all the problems, the transgender and all of the problems that we have politically, we're gonna, they're going to come and take us away. Yeah, maybe they will. And guess what? If we're leaning right, God could use it for the furtherance of the gospel. You spend more time worried about who's going to be in office instead of praying to God who has everybody that's ever been in office or ever will be in office under his control. We're talking about a God who has the heart of the king in his hand. And what are we worried about? Worried about things that happened unto me. Hey, turn it around. You see, when other Christians see their brothers and sisters in Christ suffer without wavering and enduring hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, when they see you bearing your burden without turning back, it will fill them with a greater assurance and a greater certainty that Jesus Christ is real, that Jesus Christ is all he claimed to be, that he is worth living for, he is worth suffering for, and he's worth dying for if necessary. What would you die for? Anytime you suffer for Christ, 
Someone's watching. And it can embolden their heart. When a Christian is bold, he tells others about Jesus. The church at Philippi was founded with believers who saw Paul beaten and jailed and singing. And his confidence was infectious. People wanted some of that action. He gave them confidence in the Lord because he had confidence in the Lord. Lastly, this morning, we know that first, bad things happen to good people. But bad things provide new opportunities for ministry. What's the thing that's hurting you right now? What's the thing that's bugging the fire out of you right now? That could be an opportunity for new ministry. Bad things, when patiently endured, can strengthen weak Christians. And we must never allow bad things to steal the joy of knowing Christ. You see, the theme of Philippians is joy through the mind of Christ. And the secret of Paul's joy was the single mind. He lived for Christ and his gospel. In the first chapter alone, the, 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 the name Christ is mentioned 17 times. The word gospel is used five times. He said in chapter 1, verse 21, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is the single mind? What is the single mind? The single mind is an attitude that says, it makes no difference what happens to me as long as Jesus is glorified and the gospel is shared with others. That's the single mind. It means my health problems have to take a back seat to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It means my financial woes, my relationship difficulties, those all must take their place in priority to the lordship of Jesus Christ in my life. His gospel, my retirement plans, my vacation plans, all of the things that I'm looking forward to in my life have to take a back seat to the gospel of Jesus Christ. My intended career, my career path, what I want to do with my life, how I want to fix up my house, what car I want to buy, all those things have to get in line behind the gospel of Jesus Christ. And who's going to make that happen? You are. And God's trying to make it happen right now in your life. The stress that you feel, that weight that you're dragging, it's a reminder that this world is not your home. And you've got to get the gospel out in front. The gospel of Jesus Christ. American Christian, I beg of you this morning to consider the fact that our lives will be over before we know it. We will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will give an account of the things done in our body. And do not think that it will be a group of Hope Baptist leaders that will be standing in judgment of you that day. It will not be a panel of fundamentalists who tell you what God said or what he wanted you to do. It will be the Lord, the Savior, the creator of the ends of the earth, Jesus Christ himself, who will be standing there and saying, what did you do with the life I gave you? And you have an opportunity right now to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Paul said the things which happened to me have fallen out rather than the furtherance of the gospel so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palaces and in all other places and many of the brethren of the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear.
Paul is consumed with the gospel. The things that happened to Paul were different than the things that he had planned for himself. Someone said that Paul changed one letter in the word disappointment. And he came to recognize his imprisonment as his appointment. You see, a Christian may have a heart attack, not because he didn't tithe, not because he got drunk or was out dancing. He had a heart attack because his physical body is falling apart. He ends up in the hospital, and there he is lying, powerless to do anything. But while he's lying there trying to recover, there's a constant stream of doctors and nurses that are paid to be nice to him. You might knock on the door of those nurses and those doctors, and they don't want to hear anything about it. They don't have time for you. But now they have to listen. You might go to a restaurant and have a waiter and waitress who is being paid to listen to your needs and to be polite to you. You have an opportunity. This man in the hospital sits there, and with his mouth, he worships and serves God, and he testifies the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's nothing good about a heart attack. But the failure of that physical heart has allowed the gospel to go further into the hearts of those nurses and doctors than it ever would have gone if that brother had not been in trouble. I ask you two questions in closing. Does your life, around the, does your life revolve around the gospel? Or does the gospel just fit in wherever it can barely fit? If you're earthly-minded, you will never see the benefit and the value. You'll never see your troubles and trials as beneficial. There is no benefit. But if your life revolves around bringing honor and glory to Jesus Christ and bringing people to the knowledge of that Savior, then whatever happens to you can indeed result in the furtherance of the gospel. Secondly, does your life provoke discussion among lost people. Paul was chained to these men who left him and told others about what Paul had said to them. Could people leave and ask, and ask the question of you, why is that person suffering so joyfully? What is it that that person believes? Does your life, your conversation, make others thirsty for Jesus? Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning?